Amen. Well, welcome again to Cuyahoga Valley Church. He is risen. Right, that's right. I don't know. Maybe I don't need to teach today. We can just sing some more like that, man. That'd be, whew, that was good stuff. That was good stuff. Hey, if you're a guest today, welcome again. And we're so glad you're here. And uh, uh, man, if, if, uh, if, if this is your first time, we hope that you're blessed and that as we celebrate the resurrected Jesus Christ. Hey, I want to uh, go back to something that Pastor Rick had said uh, earlier about our next series. Our next series is called Afterlife. We're going to take the next four weeks and just tackle some of the big questions about the soul and heaven and hell and what lies after this life. Um, and we want to invite you into the conversation because the last week, we're going to just do a small panel and just tackle some questions that come in. And so if you look at your response card in your program, you'll see there's an empty big uh, box at the bottom, a big one. And if you've got a question about the afterlife, we invite you just to write it down. And then at the end of the service, there's some baskets that you can put that in, and we'll collect those questions and sift through them and, and condense them and try to tackle some of those. And whatever we can't get to, we'll try to use for like blogs and other materials along those ways. So it's going to be an exciting four weeks as we look at the afterlife, so uh, you're not going to want to miss that. But today is Easter. It's Resurrection Sunday. So glad we get to worship the one who is alive. Uh, I love what another pastor and theologian, A.B. Simpson, said about Easter Sunday. He said, it's the New Year's Day for the soul. It's like, ooh, that's good. I wish I would have made that up, you know? Uh, the New Year's Day of the soul. I just love that. I love Easter. But that wasn't always the case. Because I wasn't raised in a religious home. I didn't go to church growing up. Uh, I never read a Bible. I think we had one somewhere in our home, but I never cracked it open. And so I had no understanding of what Easter really was. I still thought it was about the bunny and chocolate and eggs and all that stuff. I didn't know it was about the one who died and rose to give me life. And so I was really unaware of spiritual things. And any concept of God I had was more of a, uh, I've got to see it to believe it kind of concept. So I was unaware that God had a design for my life. And that part of that design was that I was to be in relationship with him. I was unaware that the reason I wasn't in relationship with him was because of my sin. Like, I knew I did bad stuff. I knew I thought about bad things. But I didn't know it was called sin. I didn't know it was an obstacle between me and God. And so I, I lived in that sin, not aware that it was a barrier between a God who loved me and myself. And what I was aware of, though, was brokenness in my life. I was aware of what a lot of you have also felt, that, that emptiness, that vacuum, that void, that something inside that says um, something's wrong, something's empty. And I know I, I went through uh, many years of just being angry and being lost and being lonely, and I knew I was broken, so I did what everyone else tries to do to fix that brokenness. I just tried to fix it myself. Man, if I just had more money, if I just had more stuff, if I had more experiences, if I had more friends, if I, maybe if I did more good stuff, you know, maybe if I did something, it would fill that. And all that did was still leave me lost and broken and angry and empty. Nothing worked to fix my own brokenness until I heard good news. In fact, the best news. And that good news is a word. It's called the gospel. The gospel means good news. And the good news is that there was this God who loves me. And there was this God that knew that sin separated us. And since he knew that I couldn't get rid of it, he came down in person to get rid of it himself. And I learned about Jesus, who was God wrapped in flesh, and that Jesus died on the cross for my sin that made this barrier between God and I go away. And so I realized that because of who Jesus was and because of what Jesus did, I could be in relationship with God. And so I did what was called repenting. Repenting was basically a big word that means I changed my mind, I changed my heart, I changed my direction, and I moved toward God, and I entered into this relationship with Christ, and I believed. And what I learned, what so many of us in this room have learned, is that it's not that seen is believing, it's that believing is seen. Because once I believed, I started to see God. 
And I saw his hand working in my life. And I saw things that I never saw before that had the fingerprints of God all over it. And he restored me. And he brought me back into a pursuit of his design. And when he restored me, he took my anger and gave me joy. And he took my lostness and gave me purpose. And he gave me a passion for him. And all of that because of God's great love that sent him to the cross and to the grave. And what we celebrate today, that he rose from the grave. And even though I had this amazing relationship with God, there were still times when I would find myself doubting, right? And it would always usually be around something difficult happening. Uh, the, the divorce of my parents, or maybe it was my, my daddy issues, you know, my, my father issues. Maybe it was when my wife and I entered into the desert of infertility. Those were the times when all of a sudden I would find myself saying, God, are you there? God, are you listening? God, are you real? God, is, is what I believe true? In those moments is when I, I would have moments of doubt. You know, don't you find it interesting that the moments that we doubt are when we have difficulty? You know, that says a lot about our theology, doesn't it? See, what we want is we want a God who's going to be a genie in the bottle. It's going to be this lamp that whenever we rub it, he comes out and gives us what we want, when we want. We want a God whose sole purpose is to protect us from all pain instead of the God who is. And the God who is is the sovereign over all things. He created all things, and he uses both good and bad together to teach us about him. And so we learn a lot about our theology when we doubt because we doubt when things don't go our way. Doubt's not bad. It's to doubt is human. To doubt is normal. God's not afraid of our doubt. God is not threatened by our doubt. He doesn't mind if we temporarily live there he, or temporarily um, visit there. He just doesn't want us to live there. Because once you live in doubt, that's when all the problems um, kick in. And that's what keeps you from experiencing this amazing relationship with God. And so I've doubted. You've doubted. You might be sitting here today with extreme doubts because of the season of life that you're in. And I just want you to know that you're welcomed here. Doubts are welcomed here because everyone in this room has doubted, will doubt, maybe doubting right now. It's okay to doubt. We just want to visit that place. We don't want to live there. And we've been going through this teaching series as a church over the last six weeks called Never the Same. And we've been looking at individuals who encountered Jesus. And because of that encounter, they were transformed. They were never the same. And today on Easter Sunday, we're going to look at one more life. One more person who encountered Jesus, but it was the resurrected Jesus. After he died and rose, and this person was in a place of doubt. He was visiting a place of doubt, and he needed to be encouraged, and his name was Thomas. And we're going to look at how Thomas was never the same because of uh, encountering the risen Jesus Christ. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles. You're in church, so hopefully you brought your Bible. And open up your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 20. And, uh, or, or fire up your Bible application on your device. And if you're here today and you don't have a Bible with you, don't, don't sweat it. Uh, we've had these verses on the screens for you in your program. And if you actually don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one for free. Happy Easter, all right? We don't have any little gift wrap on it or chocolates, but it's yours as a gift, a Bible. Take it at the information center on your way out. We'd love to give you one. But we're going to look at this man named Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 21. And Thomas was one of the 12 disciples that followed Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years, and he saw all the miracles and the healings and all of those things, and he listened to Jesus and learned from Jesus. And Jesus was his friend, and Jesus was his teacher. So you can imagine what Thomas was going through emotionally, mentally, when he saw that Jesus had died and been put in a grave. And so we pick up the story after the resurrection in John chapter 20, verses 19 to 21. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, 
the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, Jesus. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. So it was the evening of Resurrection Sunday. And the disciples were in a room hiding for fear. They must have just been uh, swimming with all sorts of different thoughts as they think about the last 48 hours and all that had taken place. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to them and says, peace be with you. It must have been a mind-blowing experience. And so they saw the living Jesus Christ. One problem, Thomas wasn't there. You ever been in those moments when something cool happens, but you weren't there? (laughs) This is one of those moments for Thomas. And so, so Thomas wasn't there, but his friends were. So what happens next? Well, skip down to verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Careful what you wish for. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And I invite you to read out loud with me this last part. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas doubted what he heard. His stance was, I've got to see it to believe it. But he didn't live in that place of doubt for long. He just visited there. When you look at Thomas, he actually goes on to be seen as a man of great faith. And what I want us to do right now is look at six observations from this passage that will help us either find our faith or help us grow in our faith. And the first observation is this, Jesus was alive. When Jesus rose from the grave, he appeared to hundreds of people, over 500 people in one setting alone and showed off his resurrection body, his literal bodily resurrection. And so Jesus appeared and showed himself to be alive. He appeared to these disciples in this context and other disciples and other people in other contexts for over 40 days. People saw the living, breathing, resurrected Jesus Christ. The problem is this is supernatural. (coughs) The problem is the critics and the skeptics were having a hard time and the enemies of Christ were having a hard time. So instead of validating what authentically, historically happened, the world instead has tried to introduce conspiracy theories to try to produce doubt in the resurrection of Jesus. Let me just talk about a few of them. Uh, One of the conspiracy theories is the hallucination theory. That's just lame, all right? I mean, think about this. Hundreds of people at different times over 40 days all had the same hallucination. Like, that's just an insult to our intelligence. Moving on, okay? Second, The leading theory at the time, and and still one of the ones today, was that the disciples stole the body. And this was introduced early by the enemies of Christ. Because when their friends came back and said, we've got a problem. That Jesus guy that we buried, yeah, the tomb's empty. And the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leadership at the time is like, well, we can't have that. Uh, We can't validate what's happened, so let's make something up. I know, the disciples stole the body. And so to, to buy into that concept, this is what you have to do with your mind. You have to think about all the disciples that were huddled in fear 
in a room, scared that they were going to die next. All of a sudden, one of them says, hey, guys, I got an idea. Let's go take the body. Good idea. Hands in the huddle. Let's go. Let's go get Jesus. Go. And so then they go. They're overcome with this incredible bravery that they didn't have a second ago. They go to the tomb. They find a contingent of Roman soldiers there. They beat them up, okay, well-trained soldiers. And then they move the stone, grab the body, hide it, never to be found again, and have deceived millions upon millions of people for the last 2,000 years. And they went back to the room and were like, woohoo! And then they went on to live bold, courageous lives, traveling all over the world, telling people a lie in which then they died for. They martyred. They were killed for what they believed. Look, I believe at least one, if not most of those guys, when once they realized their life was at stake, would have squealed if that was the case. Historically, theologically, psychologically, that concept is just a mind blower. There's no way that has any validation. It's just easier to believe because the other option is supernatural. Another theory that's out there, my personal favorite. You might have heard me mock, I mean, explain this before is the swoon theory. The swoon theory is that all that Jesus went through, the beatings, the arrest, the crucifixion, the nails through the hands, the nails through both feet, the, the, the ripped open flayed back that he had from the whipping, and then dying on the cross, dehydrated, asphyxiated, and in reality, he didn't really die, even though a Roman soldier stuck him in the heart with a spear, he didn't die, he actually just fainted on the cross, Okay. So the Roman soldiers, professional executioners, just neglected to notice that Jesus really wasn't dead. He just fainted. And then when they wrapped him up in all the wrappings with 70 pounds of spices and stuck him in the tomb, the cool of the tomb revived him a couple days later. And he wiggled his way out of the wrappings. And he came up to the rock and had enough strength to move the rock, only to find Roman soldiers there. So he whooped them silly, all right? And then found the disciples hiding in an upper room and said, hey, guys, what's up? Ludicrous. It's just easier to believe than the truth, right? The truth is this. Jesus rose from the grave, and Jesus is alive. And he appeared to people then, and he's still appearing and making himself known in different ways today. Jesus is alive. The second observation we make is this, to explain the obvious. Thomas doubted it. Thomas doubted. Thomas had barriers that prevented him from believing what he was hearing. His best friends, guys that he trusted, were saying, Thomas, we're not lying to you, man. We weren't dreaming. We weren't smoking anything funny. Like, we saw him. He's alive. He's really alive. And Thomas is saying, not happening. Not believing it. I've got to touch it. I've got to see it to believe it. He doubted. And I don't think Thomas wanted to doubt. I think Thomas wanted it to be true. But he had barriers. He had barriers. And we don't know what was all in the mix. We can speculate. Maybe one of the barriers was just that his heart broke. His his teacher, his best friend, the one that he thought was going to establish a kingdom was gone. And maybe just the overwhelming sadness and grief and heartbroken state of where he was was enough. All of us have lost people we've probably loved. You know, one of the first stages of grief is denial, right? Right? I think in that grief, possibly Thomas just denied what he was hearing because he was so heartbroken. Maybe it was just uh, the, re- the, the unnatural reality of what the, his friends were telling him. Hey, Jesus was alive. Hey, look, he, he died. He was, he was buried. This isn't even, you know, how can you guys even go there? This is unnatural. I don't think it's that Thomas didn't want to believe. I just think he couldn't in the moment. He had barriers to his belief. What barriers do you have to belief? 
What barriers have you knocked down or seen God knock down in order for you to believe at some point in your life? You know, maybe, maybe one of the barriers for you is accountability to God. So here's the reality. Once we admit that there's a God, we realize that God has standards and God has rules. God has design for how he wants us to live. And we say, you know what? I don't think I want to be accountable to God. I like my sin. I like doing what I want, when I want, how I want. And so if there's a God and he's got rules, it's just easier to say there's no God. So no, he didn't reveal himself in his word. No, he didn't reveal himself through Christ. There's just no God. And so that way I don't have to be accountable. So maybe your barrier is just rebellion. You don't want to be accountable to God. Maybe your barrier is anger. Maybe you're angry at God. And God's not threatened by your anger. God knows you. He loves you. He can, he can take your anger. Maybe it's because you feel like an injustice has been done to you. Maybe you feel like some, something you've lost is unfair. And so this is a barrier. Your anger is a barrier. You know what? God knows what it's like to lose. He knows what it's like to experience loss. And in the moments when we want to shake our fist at him and say, look what you took for me, he wants to say, but look what I gave for you. I gave you my son on purpose with an intentionality to die for your sin so that you can spend forever with me. I know pain. I know grief. I know loss. Maybe it's just that whole I've got to see it to believe it thing. Maybe it's just you want scientific evidence. God's given us some, but he hasn't given us all. So I don't know what your barriers are to believe, but here's the thing. At some point, those barriers have to be removed for you to believe. And when you believe, you'll see. You'll see difference. So Thomas doubted. We can relate to Thomas. Thomas isn't a bad guy because he doubted. We have moments of doubt. It's okay to visit places of doubt. We just don't want to live there. So Thomas doubted. The third observation we make is this. Jesus gave Thomas time. Jesus gave Thomas time. When you look at this account, it's really interesting. You look at verse 26, all right? When, when Jesus appeared to the original 12 disciples, minus Thomas, minus Judas, so really 10 at that point, okay? Uh, when he appeared to them and showed them, Thomas wasn't there. How long, how much longer was it that he appeared when Thomas was there? Eight days. It's a week later. This is one of those things. You could be a Christian for years and not catch these kinds of little nuances in Scripture. That's what I love about God's Word. It just keeps showing these new things as you're reading it. Eight days. Why did Jesus wait eight days to show up to Thomas? He didn't have to do that. He could have been like, hey, guys, here I am. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, an hour later, find Thomas. Hey, Thomas, here I am. He could have done that. But he didn't do that. He waited a week. Why? We don't know. We do know this. Sometimes we find ourselves saying things like this. Sometimes the process is more important than the results. Sometimes the journey has more value than the destination. What if God gave Thomas time because Thomas needed to wrestle with what he was hearing? What, what did Thomas do for eight days? Because there's no way that Thomas heard that Jesus was alive and just dismissed it, right? I imagine the next eight days was a wrestling match with Thomas between faith and doubt. Is it true? Uh, it can't be. Well, what if it is? Maybe this, this, and this. Well, I haven't seen him. I would imagine that it was a torturous, long eight days for Thomas. His friends maybe trying to convince him over, Thomas, we did see him. You don't know what you're talking about. Eight days. Jesus gave Thomas time to digest, to process before he showed up again. You know, a lot of you here as followers of Christ, you're in anguish over loved ones, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors who don't know Jesus. And, and maybe you're loving on them and you're praying for them and maybe you've had a chance to share with them your story or you've had a chance to share with them the good news, the gospel, and they, didn't, they haven't made a decision yet. 
And it's like in our, in our spirit, we want them to be like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I believe. I'm good to go. But maybe they need time. Thomas needed time to digest. Maybe the people that you're loving on and praying for and sharing with just need a little bit of time. Maybe you're here today and the, the seed of the gospel has been planted in your heart. Like you've heard about Jesus. And, and maybe you haven't believed yet, but you're spiritually curious. And maybe God's giving you time right now to digest and process the reality of the resurrection and the reality of who Jesus is. If that's you, I just want to encourage you with this. Jesus didn't give Thomas eight years. He didn't give him eight months. He didn't give him eight weeks. He gave him eight days. Like if you're in a place where you're processing, you don't want to get stuck there. Because at some point in time, you're going to have to make a decision. And why, you're not, and why you haven't made a decision, no decision is a decision. Being neutral about Jesus is a decision against Jesus. And so we don't know how many days we have left in this life. We don't know when our day is done. We don't know if Christ is going to come back any day now, as he promised. But we do know this. We've got a little bit of time to process. I just wouldn't get stuck there. Because if you're waiting to see it, to believe it, you're going to have to learn at some point, really, truly believing is going to give you the scene that you're looking for. And so Jesus gave Thomas time. The other observation we see here, the fourth one, is that Jesus came to Thomas in his doubt. Thomas said, I've got to see it to believe it. Jesus was under no obligation to fulfill that. That was not a command or directive that Thomas could give Jesus, and Jesus had to comply. Jesus did not have to appear to Thomas, but he did. Out of love and compassion, we see that eight days later, he did come to Thomas, this is, again, one of those moments that, that I wish we could have been in the room, right? I would have loved to have my camera ready to take a picture of Thomas's faith, face when he saw Jesus so we can Instagram it, you know, that look. If he's alive, it's true, it's real. And Jesus came to him. He, Jesus didn't go hide on a mountain somewhere and tell the guys, well, when Thomas is ready, send him up the mountain, and I'll, you know, I'll show myself. No, Jesus came to Thomas and revealed himself to him in such a way. And I just said that earlier, careful what you wish for. All right, Thomas, here's my hands. Put your fingers on him if that'll make you feel better. Hey, Thomas, here's, here's my side. That's where the spear went. You want to put your hand in there? I know it's kind of gross, but go ahead. He, 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 we don't know if Thomas did or not. It doesn't say. We see paintings where he did, but we don't know if Thomas really touched him. Maybe he didn't need to. All we do is see this. Jesus came to Thomas. For those of you who are already followers of Christ, think about how Jesus came to you. What did God use to reveal himself to you? What, what situations... What relationships, what, what thought processes did God use to, to reveal himself to you so that you were aware? For some of you here that haven't placed your faith yet, I want you to know, just as Jesus came to Thomas and made himself known to Thomas and revealed himself to Thomas, Jesus is coming to you. Jesus isn't playing hide and seek with you guys. He's, he's using your family members. He's using your friends. He'll, he'll use a diagnosis. He'll, lose, he'll use the loss of a loved one. He'll lose a loss of a job. He'll use a trauma, a tragedy. He'll use whatever he desires to say, look, I'm here. I'm real. And I'm calling you to believe. The question is, will you believe? And so we see that Jesus was alive. We see that uh, Thomas doubted. We see that Jesus gave Thomas time. We see that it was Jesus who came to Thomas the fifth observation we make is this, Thomas believed. One of the most amazing declarations in the Bible 
is when Thomas said, my Lord and my God. When confronted with the resurrected Jesus Christ, he saw everything in high definition. He saw, he saw the resurrected Jesus. He saw his doubt. He saw forgiveness. He saw his sinfulness. He saw all those things all in high def. And he cried out, my Lord and my God. And the word Lord is kurios in the Greek here. It means master. He's saying, you're my master. You're my owner. And he says, and you're my theos, the Greek word there. You're my God. There's a lot of people, maybe it's you, that say, well, Jesus wasn't God. He was a good teacher. He was a good prophet. Maybe the son of God at the most, but he wasn't God. This is one of several incidences where we see that he allows people to identify him as God. Not only did he call himself God at different points, but here he identifies that. Jesus would have corrected Thomas if he was out of line. When, when, when Thomas would have said, my Lord, my God, Jesus would have said, well, 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 time out. You can call me teacher, rabbi, son of God's fine. The God thing, that's a little much. He didn't do that. He didn't correct them. Why? Because it's true. And Thomas proclaimed, my Lord, my God, and he believed and declared Jesus as his Lord, Master, Savior, and God. And then Thomas went on to live a transformed life. He had already given three years to Jesus. He'd already served faithfully. One of, one of my pet peeves about Thomas is the nickname Doubting Thomas. Uh, let, me, let me suggest to you that you remove that from your vocabulary. Because we're not defined by one moment in our life, are we? I hope none of us are defined by one moment. We see Thomas here in doubt. And he slapped at this label Doubting Thomas. Never mind that he decided to follow Jesus for three years. Never mind at one point when he thought Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and die. He says, let's go die with them. That wasn't doubt. That was faith. That was obedience. And then you look at how Thomas finished his life. If tradition is true, which we really have a lot of weight to believe it is, Thomas traveled further than any of the other disciples to tell people about Jesus. He became a mega missionary. Tradition says he went into Persia to tell people about Jesus. Some say he might have even gone over to China to tell people about Jesus. But he definitely went into India, northern India, southern India, to tell people about Jesus. And he died in India as a martyr in Madras, in modern-day Chennai, gave up his life for his Savior. Does that sound like a man who's doubting Thomas to you? No, we're not defined by one moment. Now, he had doubt. He visited that place. He just didn't live there. And Thomas believed. Many of you here, most of you, have probably come to that place where you too said, Jesus, be my Lord and be my God. Some of you haven't done that yet. Some of you are stuck in a place of doubt. Some of you are right on the border of believing. You know, I'm going to tell you right now, there are people praying for you, love you enough to pray for you that today would be the day that you would say, Jesus, I believe. Be my Lord and be my God. And that like Thomas, you would profess belief today. The last observation that we make from this passage is this. Jesus blesses belief Without sight. Look at verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus affirms Thomas for his belief, even though he gave him the evidence he was looking for. But Jesus said, Blessed, there's a blessing. Happy, blessed are those who are going to believe without seeing. You know who he's talking about? You. Me. And people who over for the last 2,000 years have professed Jesus as God and Savior and trusted and believed in him. 
That's us. We get to be blessed. We get to be happy because we've believed without seeing. We didn't get the Thomas moment. The little bit of transparency here, I'm a little jealous. I'd love to wake up tonight and Jesus be like, you know, you've been saying you'd like to see this, so hey, I love you, my child. Look, here I am. I'd be like, oh, this is so cool. I don't anticipate that happening. See, see, sight is not required for belief. Faith is. Trust is. Conviction is. Surrender is. And when we say faith is required, we're not talking about easy believism. We're not talking about, oh, you just have to have faith. We're talking about faith that's rooted. The kind of scripture talks about the conviction of things not seen. We hope for it. We're talking about looking, God has not left an absence of evidence. There's a, when you study the Bible, you look at archaeology, you look at history, you just look at general theology and study spiritual things, God has left evidence like crazy to validate Scripture. The Bible is the indestructible, perfect Word of God. You want to know God? Get in your Bible. You want to hear God's voice? Get in your Bible. Some of you don't hear God's voice, aren't in a relationship with God because your Bible's closed and it's a pretty decoration somewhere. And crack that thing open and read and digest and learn. And God's left evidence in his word. He's given us his Holy Spirit that speaks to us. Why is it that when you're doing something wrong, you know it's wrong? That's God revealing himself to you. That's God making you know that he knows that you know that he's there. (laughs) You can call it moral conscience if you want. I think it's better to say it's the fingerprint of God in your spirit. God's left evidence. Study the archaeology. Go, go to the Middle East and look, look at things thousands of years old. Look at all the validation. Faith isn't blind. If you're a follower of Christ, faith is not blind. You've studied God's word. You've experienced God. You know. And you see because you believe. And we see that Jesus blesses those who do that. I love what early Christian theologian and philosopher Augustine said. He said, seek not to understand that you may believe, but believe that you may understand. Jesus pronounces a blessing for those who believe without seeing. And for those of you who've done that, and for those of you who are going to do that, Jesus says that there's going to be a special joy and a special love that you will experience in his relationship with you. I love what 1 Peter 1, 8, 9 says. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We could probably sit down and just talk for hours with those of you who love Jesus. And we can talk about that joy we have that no matter what crazy stuff grievous stuff happens in our life, there's an anchor that holds inside of us. What is that? It's a joy that's not based on external circumstances, but on the internal reality that God's living in us. And there's a love that you can't put words to. You can't articulate the love that you feel from God to you and that you feel back to God is there. It's just part of the reality. That's that blessing. That's that happiness that God talks about for those who believe without seeing. And this room is full of people who've done that, who've been restored back to God, who are going to heaven for eternity, who love Christ and who believe. And we believe because we've seen the hand of God work in our lives. We believe because God has answered our prayers. And we still believe even when God answers our prayers with no. 
or wait, or maybe, or not now, or not as you want it. When we believe because some of us have been healed, and we believe because instead of healing us, some of us have experienced God in a real way, in a present way, in the midst of our struggles and our suffering. And we believe because God's provided for us, even in the midst of hardship. And we believe because we've experienced God's love and power in a very real way. And we believe because we've studied God's word and we've seen that it's indestructible and that it is powerful and it's reliable. And we believe because we've surrendered control to God in our lives, and we trust his sovereignty even when loved ones die, even when we miscarry, even when tragedy strikes, even though disease enters our bodies, even when pain and struggles invade our lives and disrupt our plans, we believe even though we cannot see because we have learned that believing is seen. And in that belief, God gives us new life and eternal life. You know, the last portion of verses in that passage in John 20 is this, in verses 30, 31. It says, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have what? Life in his name. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what your story is. But the reality is God loves all of us. God wants to spend eternity with you. And he knows that you're going to doubt. And he doesn't mind you visiting that place. He just doesn't want you to live there. He knows that some of you are saying, I've got to see to believe. But he's challenging you instead to believe in order to see. So I've shared a little bit about my story. We've shared a lot about Thomas's story. In a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to hear a little bit of two other people share their stories. We've got Hunter, a young man, and Jackie, a woman here. We're going to share a little bit about their stories and how they have encountered Christ and have never been the same. And we're going to worship, and we're going to prepare to hear their stories. And as they share their stories, we're also going to witness them being baptized. This is their public way of saying, I love Jesus. This is their public way of identifying with their relationship with God that they've learned that believing is seen. And so we're going to celebrate with them, and we're going to worship the Lord with them through the baptism. And then afterwards, I want to come up and just share a couple more things with you, and then we'll close. Hey, you can sit down for just a minute as we wrap up here. I mean, I, I don't know you guys, I love seeing the joy of new life in Christ. Love seeing that joy and that love that we just saw in that passage in 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9. And some of you have that. Some of you today has just been encouragement to you that you truly have been believing, and that's what's keeping you seeing God in your life. And may today just be another dose of encouragement as you live for Christ, and, and live those last two lyrics, and to, to, to proclaim Christ with our life. Tell others about him that don't know. For some of you, you, you know Christ, but you've wandered away. You've, you've got sucked into the lies of the world, and all of a sudden you started to think that maybe Maybe money will be your savior. Maybe success will be your savior. Maybe that person will be your savior. Maybe you can be your own savior. You're reminded today that Jesus is your savior. Maybe you've been sucked away by doubt. And today God's saying, don't, don't, don't live there. You can visit there, but don't live there. Today you can come back. And some of you today, today's the day that you hopefully will do what Thomas did. And you'll say, Jesus, I believe. Be my Lord. Be my God. Here's what I'd like to invite you to do. All of you have a response card in your program. I'd invite you all to take that out for a second. Some of you have a decision to make. 
Maybe you're here today and you're going, I'm not ready to believe, but I'm very curious. Curious about Christ. I'm curious about the Bible. God, I'd like to learn more. In your response card, there's a little box. And we encourage you just to put a big question mark in that box. I've got questions. Leave us some contact information and we'll we'll reach out and say, hey, how can we help? How can we help answer some of the questions maybe you have? For those of you who've wandered away from Christ and have come back, maybe today is the day you're recommitting. You're saying, no, I'm not going back there anymore. I want to stay focused on Christ, committed to Christ from this point forward. Put a little refresh symbol there. I'm being refreshed, renewed, restored back in relationship with Christ. Some of you, I'm about to invite you to, to invite Christ into your life. And if you do that, I would encourage you to take, take that pen and put a big cross in that box. Say, today's the day I believed. Today's the day I said, Jesus, come into my life. I believe. I'm going to choose to believe to see, not wait to see to believe. And turn that into the baskets at the end of the service and share with us what decisions you've made. And we'll let you know your next steps to grow from this point forward. Let's pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. God, thank you for the celebration. I thank you for the joy that we have knowing you're alive and the tomb is empty. Because of that, we have eternal life in heaven waiting for us. We've got new life here on earth while we wait. And God, I pray for those who have questions, Lord, that you give them the courage to put that question mark. God, give us wisdom to help engage them. God, I pray for those who are being recommitted today, refreshed in their relationship with you, Lord. God, let them not go back to the other place, Lord, that they came from even today. We'll walk out of here new, living new. And Lord, for those who are about ready to put their faith in you, Lord God, just give them the boldness and the belief that they need. And if that's you, you can just tell God. Say, God, I'm lost. I'm broken. I'm doubtful. But today I believe. I believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the grave to give me eternal life in heaven and new life on earth. And I believe today. Come into my life. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the celebration and joy that we've had. Lord, continue to have your way with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Amen.